and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. I release new episodes every second Monday. Please subscribe to the show wherever you like to listen to podcasts. That way you will remain updated. If you want to be in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can like the Salomon page on Facebook, send me a message that way, or you can email me via pat at soundofthemoment.com. I plan to keep this show free to listen to and download in perpetuity, but if you did feel like helping me out with covering the costs of production and hosting, you can make monthly or one-off donations at the Patreon campaign for Sound of the Moment. That is patreon.com slash sound of the moment. Any amount is really appreciated and incredibly helpful. Many thanks to those of you who have already helped out. This is episode number 26 for the 22nd of October 2018. And I'd just like to note that it has been exactly a year to the day since I first launched this podcast. So that's exciting. And uh, thanks so much to everybody who listens and who has been a guest. And hopefully here's to many more in the future. My guest on this episode is the drummer Gary Yeager. His duo Knallbot with guitarist Rafael Vanoli just released a new record called Dieradaf. Let's hear something from that now before my conversation with Gary. This is entitled Indianerwurst. Thank you. 
Gary Yeager is my guest today on the show. Gary, thanks for being uh, here. Hey. Um, I always like to begin the show by asking the guest to introduce themselves a bit, speak a bit about who you are, what you do, um, where you come from, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah, so hello. Um, yes, I'm Gary Yeager. I uh, grew up in Austria um, on, the, on the mountain with my parents. We had a little farm. Mm -hmm. I had two brothers. Uh, a small village, uh, 350 people. Wow. <laughs> yeah, My dad wanted to become a piano player, but he couldn't because he had to take over the farm of my grandfather. Mm -hmm. So he always, always supported uh, his kids uh, uh, and, and uh, wanted them to play music. Mm -hmm. So that was my chance. And so my brothers and me, we got the chance to uh, go to the music school and, and stuff. And me and all my friends, we were fascinated uh, with the drums and we were all like uh, taking drum classes. I guess mm -hmm. we were in a small village. We were like six or seven boys yeah. hitting the drum. <laughs> and eventually I was the only one who continued. And then... Um, I was 11, I guess, and then my parents convinced me to join uh, the local brass band. Okay. Which was, uh, in my eyes then, not such a uh, hip thing to do. And I was, <laughs> sure. I was crying and, and I was like, I don't want to. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm way younger than everybody else. And, yeah. uh, and uh, no, it's good for you, my teacher said, and my parents also. So mm -hmm. eventually I would continue. Doing that and was a lot of fun uh, and uh, there's a lot of parties going on with those guys and a lot of jokes, mm. you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So also they, um, they have an educational uh, program. So I learned uh, harmony, music harmony there and, okay. uh, and they had some competitions as well. So in that sense, I learned quite a bit. 
Uh, I made friends. We were uh, practicing every week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but soon uh, we got into uh, uh, rock and roll and uh, jamming, and I started to play the guitar as well. Mm. Started to play gigs when we were like uh, 14. Uh, my best friend, uh, Simon, he was a, a drummer as well. He was slightly faster and uh, and louder than and I was. <laughs> and that's so, always a good thing. So he, he was the drummer and yeah. I, I start, started to more and more play the guitar. Yeah. We uh, started uh, this black metal band. Uh, oh, wow. We started to play gigs and, yeah. and have a little following. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, this, uh, this guy with the long uh, curly red hair. Yeah. Uh, I looked a bit like a girl or like the, like one of the Kelly family. Okay. <laughs> but we had this badass black metal uh, yeah. band with two uh, guys screaming like mm-hmm. uh, like pigs. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And um, but a certain moment, I realized that how how uh, influential and powerful you are as a drummer. Mm-hmm. And if the drummer wouldn't. Uh, do the, the the things that I wanted him to do. I got a bit frustrated, so I decided to pick up the drums again. So I dropped the guitar and I started to practice the drums again. I I and I uh, I got into uh, uh, the conservatory in Innsbruck in mm-hmm. Austria, uh, and two years later I did uh, entrance exam in Amsterdam at the Jazz Conservatory, yeah. and I was practicing a, a lot, a lot. And uh, yeah, now I'm still here and I'm enjoying myself. I think it's a cool yeah. place to be. But so what like the what was the transition into playing jazz and improvised music? Like was that purely if I want to do formal study, this is the only option I have or was it did you already have a sense of there's something that I can get out of this uh also aesthetically speaking? It was uh in the, it was the first thing you mentioned yeah. uh uh, d- back then, there was no pop or rock uh, music academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, there was the option classical music and jazz music. And uh, yeah, I decided for jazz music. And I met this uh, amazing jazz teacher and drummer, Darko Stanaikovsky from Croatia. Mm-hmm. He was an uh, Elvin Jones uh, freak. Yeah. Smoking pot a lot. Uh, but amazing, inspiring guy. Mm. So he helped me to get, in, get into this jazz stuff. And actually, uh, I discovered the same kind of urge and uh, anger in um, in, uh, in the John Coltrane uh, uh, quartet, uh, the meditation uh, recordings. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've heard the same urge and aggression that I heard in, in the, mus- the metal music I liked. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, wow, this is equally equally deep. Yeah. So I bet that was the bridge or the link mm. into jazz music. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, I don't think I've ever had somebody make that direct correlation, but I suppose the idea of like, almost like violence in music or something like, especially in those in like that sixties scene was kind of a thing. Mm. I don't know that they would necessarily have described it that way themselves, but it, mm. it's true that there's, there's an interesting commonality that way. Mm. Um, and so, uh, I guess we, we mostly should be talking about your, your band Knapot. You guys have got a new record, uh, coming out. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, well, first of all, do you want to tell me a bit about the origins of Nowbot, how you guys have evolved over the years, um, how you got together with Rafael and all that stuff? Yeah, um, I tried to keep it short because... Uh, There's like a decade of stories to be yeah. told, I guess. Yeah, we now play 11 years yeah. and we, we started out as a trio uh, and we came together... And one night, uh, f friends of mine, they DJs, uh, Red Nose District is a DJ collective. They asked me to play some live music at the, at the bar in, in West. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I decided to play, to improvise some groove uh, stuff mm. with some people. And I called Raphael Vanoli on guitar and this German keyboard player who actually left uh, town quite some years back. His name is Andreas Birnbaum. He lives now in, in, in Hamburg. Okay. And um, <clears throat> we had some jam that night in a club uh, and I thought it was horrible. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it, but people were really into it. It, it was a weird mix of a piano player playing something like Bach kind. Yeah. I had this like funk rock groove and Raphael, he was just spacing out. Yeah. And for me on that spot, being a bit insecure, maybe I didn't think it was great. But then listening back to recording and, and listening to people, it actually was kind of cool. Mm. And then we thought, okay, let's let's continue a little bit and see maybe we want to make a band. Maybe, yeah, let's do it again, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, the, it's a classic thing with duos, I think, that one of the three doesn't show <laughs> to the rehearsals a couple yeah. of times and gets kicked out. And then the two, <laughs> the two that are left, uh, yeah. uh, they, they continue. Yeah. And exactly that happened to us. We had a tryout gig in 2007 at this like um, a boat called Motorship Stubnitz. I don't mm -hmm. know if you know it's like a big. I yeah, I think I've boat. heard it before. Yeah, it was a really nice place. So we did this duo gig, and we were very surprised how how well it uh, worked, and uh, mm -hmm. we were really excited to play a duo. It was yeah. for us a format that was. Uh, uh, very unusual and, and unsafe. Yeah. So we kind of were happy and a little bit proud, like, oh, wow, we can make this kind of uh, sound, big amount of sound with two people. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so that's how we started. And we started to play many, many shows uh, around, actually, in the beginning, more outside of Holland than inside. And mm -hmm. later they... The scene discovered us, and uh, we started to play a lot in in the Netherlands as well. Yeah. yeah so I think we were peaking between uh, 2009 and 2012. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so is was um was the idea of like a massive amount of electronics on stage always a part of the thing, or is that something that evolved over the course of? Because you've got a very kind of unusual setup. For for a drummer, and I guess Rafael also has got. Although we're maybe more used to seeing like guitar players with mountains of pedals in front of them, but like, was that idea of augmenting the drums with electronics always part of the the, the idea with Knalpot and with your work in general? I suppose. 
Yeah, yes and no. In this, in a sense, I always has have been very inspired by drummers who managed to uh, uh, enter this electronic world and merge uh, with the acoustic kit. Mm-hmm. I th- for me, that was always something I wanted to discover and uh, and. Uh, and throughout the years, because in the beginning in with Knappert, I didn't use any electronics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then more and more, uh, it was um, uh, I introduced it also because uh, Raphael he had, had all his pedals and he had all his melodies and harmonies and to play. Mm-hmm. So a certain moment we thought uh, maybe it's better if he divides that job a little bit, so yeah. I also could play some um, melodies or have some uh, uh, effects on the drums. So, yeah. And then more and more my setup grew. It started out with a small mixer and one delay pedal and uh, and it grew and grew and and now I have this huge su- a suitcase with electronics that I also use for my solo project. I use it with a different project. So it became my, uh, my ins- part of my instrument. Yeah. Sure. Can you maybe like describe? Um, it, it seems to me like there's something, um, something quite unusual. I mean, the way you describe it is that it's part of your instrument and stuff. Like, there's something quite unusual about your setup in the sense of um, a lot of drummers, especially nowadays, would basically just have a pad and a laptop and maybe a small MIDI controller, and that's kind of it. And they would do everything through a sound card and, and it, like that way. Whereas You've kind of almost got the guitarist approach of having a bunch of stomp boxes and 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 using contact mics on the drums themselves, using using the sounds of the drums themselves and and triggering things and also modifying the sounds of the drums. Like, what is it about that approach that appeals to you? Maybe versus the idea of doing everything with a laptop. Yeah, it's actually very simple to answer because uh, when I started out uh, using pedals, um, like. Maybe yeah, nine ten years ago, uh, the sound quality was not yet so fresh with the uh, 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 interfaces mm-hmm. and the laptop stuff. Everything sounded a bit plastic and uh, two dimensional. Yeah, and um, that was the main reason to go as much as possible analog and uh, with hardware boxes. Yeah. Nowadays, I think it changed. If I would start now again, I would probably go uh, with the laptop as well. I mm-hmm. think. Okay. But now I'm so far with with the hardware slash analog uh, department that it seems um, it seems a, a, a big distance to go and switch over to the digital uh, way to do it. Yeah. Although I'm also looking into that, and maybe one day I could just replace a part of the kilograms yeah. <laughs> with just a simple laptop just for the basic mixing things. So. Yeah. But it, I mean, there is there is the added value of like visual appeal to it, to me. Like it, it feels to me like an output has got a very visual element and part of it is just that you guys are kind of sitting in these spaceships mm. of, of buttons and stuff. Uh, whereas a guy with just a tiny little plastic controller and a, and a like Apple Mac in front of him is very different. Um, Idea, and I feel like, like uh, from what I was reading about the the new record, there is sort of this underlying that idea of no laptop was used in the production of this music. Is that mm. also something you think that Raphael relates to in a sense? Uh, yeah, I think I think it can, I can speak for both of us that um, 
that we wanted to avoid the laptop uh, just purely for the for the sound quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we didn't we didn't have anything. We don't have anything against laptops. Yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> Although I must say we all sit in front of it so much already. So I thought it was nice to just leave it. Uh, at home when when we are in the studio and working on music is nice. Yeah. yeah, and there's something really tangible about a pedal with three knobs on it and just turning the thing and having an immediate feedback of, hey, this is what that button does and this is what that button does rather than having to then go into the program and decide what the button is going to do and then all that stuff. I don't know. There's something, it seems to me like uh, as an instrumentalist, it, there's we have this idea of learning like the physicality of our instrument and that there's something much more physical about those things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the the added thing, um, and I don't know at what point this became the case, but you guys have a fixed engineer um, and he's basically a third member of the band to a certain extent, as far as I can tell. Like you also kind of bill him that way, right? Like he's mm-hmm. credited as sound designer and stuff and like... And is producing on the record and all these kinds of things. Like, what? At what point did that become a thing? And is that, yeah? Can you maybe speak a bit to that? Yeah, uh, Sando Caron. He's a really nice sound uh, engineer, and um, I've been working with him uh, together for many, many years. And uh, it turned out that he he was there every time I played a gig, mm-hmm. if that was. Uh, possible f- with the budget so every time we we wanted to have him because it, it we could really hear and uh, from the audience but also from the room by itself that it sounds super nice when he makes the makes the mixes the music yeah. and then yeah because and then with knallpot of course we we just we also invited him and we found out that uh because of our uh, setups and our pedals, sometimes it's very difficult to control all the pedals at once, all the parameters at once. So sometimes here and there we fuck up, and then the level, some level <laughs> explodes. Yeah. And and then it's good to have a sound engineer who knows the potential potential places where things could go wrong. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. so he he describes himself as a human compression. Okay. Yeah. So he would he would know okay this transition and maybe I really have to boost the bass because it's the distortion of the guitar and then we miss we put the octave orbit up and uh, mm-hmm. the same with the drums oh there's the rock hard gonna come Gary gonna sp- uh, smash the cymbals so I'm gonna mute the overheads just the simple things like a, yeah. a, a fixed sound engineer does. Yeah, 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 and then on top of that, he's a, he has a very good ears and and a very good taste. Mm-hmm. So we, we always, yeah, it's nice to have somebody to you can trust while playing. Even you have a shitty sound on stage, you know, our man in the room, he he makes it sound nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but so like for the in order for that to work, is he like? there for rehearsals and stuff like do you guys have sessions where you're like okay this is kind of what the what the set is going to look like and these are like how how does that work yeah usually when we have a, a important concert coming up we invite him for one or two rehearsals in the end to mm-hmm. give us feedback about levels about yeah. uh, eqs sometimes also uh if he, uh, we ask him to uh, give us feedback about uh, 
uh, arrangement mm-hmm. and he says ah here we need more melody there the intro is too long yeah so he has also a nice pop minded uh, uh, ear yeah that's very cool and it, it's also it seems like a really unusual thing I mean obviously in in the pop world that's the most common thing in the world that you would have you're mm. an engineer and you would tour with the same guy and he understands what is needed when and stuff but it's it's a very rare thing I think in in the kind of music that that we tend to make and in the kinds of venues that we tend to make our music and stuff it's kind of uh it's interesting i i find it interesting at least mm. um maybe we should talk a bit about the new record in more like specific terms uh first of all as far as i understood you guys took a couple of years of sabbatical was that literally not releasing stuff was that not doing too many performances um what what was that process like to kind of take a step back and then come back to the to the material with something new and also why where what did that come from yeah um we didn't have a we didn't make a break for a couple of years we we had some breaks of a couple of months that we would not do anything mm-hmm. and everybody would focus like uh on um on their solo work on different projects you know sometimes uh other things take over and uh, yeah, yeah. And some projects are in eyes. Yeah. Um, this is one natural flow, I think, how things went. Also, uh, we have been uh, touring so much and, uh, and working so much together. We are both uh, 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 idealists and, and perfectionists. So sometimes it's really intense uh, and, and yeah. very tiring to have like these two captains and, and they both have a very um, um, precise uh, way of, do thi- of doing things. Mm-hmm. So we had, naturally, we had some uh, moments that we had to just take it a bit more slow and, uh, and, and do other things, which in the end, yeah, gave us a, a fresh air, focusing on, on, on our solo projects also helped us quite a bit to 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 develop uh, our individual uh, music more and more and eventually that new music or those new sounds or these new techniques we would uh, uh, introduce back into Knallpot. Yeah, sure. So I my setup got bigger, I got more possibilities. Uh, for the first time I, I work now with samples as well, I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I developed uh, a distortion um, patch that made, makes my, my drum sound uh, huge and badass, a distorted faucet without having this uh, feedback that you would expect. Yeah. Like I now have a big a distorted drum sound mm. that I could play very loud without uh, that it really feedbacks. And I think mm. it's quite a unique thing yeah. to have. Yeah, yeah sure. What uh, I, I can imagine that, like now talking in specifics, that like you spend a couple of years not making a new thing, and then you come and make a new thing, and obviously like you learn from that. But I'm interested also in the more like global arc. You guys have been working together for eleven years. Like, how has the evolution been, like on the long term? Like, how has how, like I suppose where did you guys start, and where would you describe yourselves as now? And and is it do you see like a clear like progression there in that sense? Uh, yeah, what I see is that we are now 11 years older. So we were this more like a rascal uh, 
two rascals <laughs> are really uh, having fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, now I think we are more into sound design, um, more open uh, 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 fields of improvisation, more focusing more on uh, interaction, form, like because we have we did all these things we do. Uh, we are searching now still for new ways of uh, playing music together. Mm-hmm. Like we got a bit tired of our repertoire. Uh, we got a bit tired of playing a lot of notes. Yeah. So we are now more into maybe a little bit more into conceptualizing what we uh, what we doing now to make ch- more make more strict choices. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look for new sounds, new for new uh, combinations of sounds. Uh, it's very exciting. I would say, yeah, we are a, bit, a little bit more uh, slow. The tempo's got a bit more slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit less wild and crazy and teenage-y. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, feels kind of natural and good like that. Yeah. And so what is the what's the compositional process like for you guys? Is it something that you do separately? Is it something that you do together? Is it I can imagine that like the way you describe the origins of the project, I can imagine a lot of stuff just came out of just jamming and seeing what happened. Exactly. Um is that still the case? Are you guys um are you guys constructing things more beforehand or are you like deconstructing things that you improvise together and then building material out of that? How does it work? Yeah, um, there's a couple of ways how it went. Uh, yes, so the jamming was is one thing that uh, that certain elements of uh, a certain material would come back in a jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh wait, maybe I have to uh, tell you one thing. This the set that we are releasing now, the music, actually rewrote it for uh, for this festival in Lithuania. Yeah. Okay. We played there uh, a few years uh, ago, mm-hmm. and they reinvited us for the 10-year anniversary uh, edition, yeah. uh, which is also the which was also the last edition. And they invited their favorite bands. Mm-hmm. We were very honored to to do it. So uh, we were thinking, "Fuck, what are we gonna do there?" Because we don't want to play the old stuff, the same music we already played like six years ago. Uh, we, at that moment, we were experimenting with uh, o- with improvisation only. So we wanted, we were uh, in the process of preparing a set where we would only improvise with a few meeting points here and there, mm-hmm. like more open, more less danceable, more abstract. Yeah. But we didn't dare to come uh, to the summer festival and play like a weird uh, improvisation set. So we yeah. thought like, okay, fuck, let's um, let's make a new music for the festival. Yeah. So in one summer, which was last year, we we collected all the ideas we had. We were we were selecting the best moments of jams and put them in a folder. Uh, we were sending each other uh, uh, drafts. Mm. Sometimes he would just, uh, for fun, in logic, would put a few ideas on top of each other, and that was the song. Okay, uh, yeah. So that was also a new uh, and a funny way to make uh, 
to create material. <laughs> and because we had this deadline, the festival, we had to come with choices. So actually it was very refreshing mm. because we are very good in endless discussions and, and how to, 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 to never finish a version, to always improve it and, and mm. change things, which yeah. is good. But because we had the deadline, we had to make choices and, and we ended up with a, with a complete new set. So it yeah. was nice. Yeah. That, that, I mean, you kind of touched on a thing that I find interesting is um, your music it tends to be a combination of, like you said, something kind of danceable and at the same time something kind of abstract. And um, I'm interested in like, was that always the aesthetic? Like, has there ever been a conscious decision about like what kinds of venues you guys play at, what kinds of audience you're trying to reach, because it seems like you're skirting like a weird thing in between like the genuine like underground dance scene and the kind of weirdo improv scene. And I say weirdo with all the love in the world because that's also mm. my scene. <laughs> but mm. like it, it, I find that interesting that that you guys have kind of a, a kind of a foot in both worlds. Was that something that you guys always wanted to do? Is there any like conscious decision involved in that? Uh, I don't really think so. But the fact that that how it how it's all started, I think that was already uh, um, pointed us already in a certain direction. Like that weird jam in the, in the club. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we are improvisers. All uh, many of our friends are improvisers. So that's the that's the background. Also, both of us uh, played in uh, in rock bands when we were teenagers. So that's yeah. also a natural ingredient. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think the rest is just a um, uh, coincidence. I think whatever music direction or genre we would do we 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 it's for us very important to have to to come with a something personal so something challenging something that is not uh, uh something predictable yeah it's nice to you know the things are open and things have sound different that yeah also it feels good to to play this music yeah uh, rather than uh, this four four beat that uh, that is that works and is good enough and feels good and yeah it's nice to have this extra edge I yeah. think and if it all comes together and works and the audience really appreciates that. No sure, uh, maybe this is like a terribly pragmatic uh, question and thing to point out, but like the I I. I understand and completely relate to the artistic uh, intent there, but then how do you guys then sell yourselves to a certain extent? Like what, what venues do you guys tend to play at? What kind of, um, is there a goal, like an ideal setting that you guys are going to play in? Or is it just, Hey, wherever they'll have us, we'll go and do our thing and hopefully it works out. Like, have you had certain audiences and certain venues that work better than others? Like what? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think, we are not that we are not the, uh, organized on a business field. We, <laughs> I think, we don't have much choice uh, uh, than than just play the music we we dig, the music we we think is the sounds the best, 
and then everything else comes second mm-hmm. to us. Uh, we realized many times that we had the feeling that we are uh, too too crazy for the jazz venues, uh, and uh, maybe then too jazzy for the for the proper rock pop venues. Mm-hmm. Although there is uh, the scene, I think open opened up quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, many festivals uh, in Europe, uh, of at least compared to 15 years ago, I think a f- quite a few festivals they're doing now uh, uh, crossover music. Yeah, uh, it's a big uh, field where like improvisation and noise uh, and and uh, conceptual music and pop would, and jazz would meet. Yeah. So luckily there were, there was a kind of scene that we felt really fitting in. Yeah. Although on a, on a, on a, on a business front or on a, uh, on earning money front, it was not yet enough for us to really uh, keep playing uh, uh, many tours and and on all those festivals. So in, yeah, compared to the jazz scene, I think is is still uh, yeah a small a small amount of yeah. uh, so the scene is not so big and and back coming back to your to your answer it has been difficult to fit in it's mm-hmm. uh, but yeah we we are not into into compromises so i think it doesn't work you have to just do where your heart lies and go for it no absolutely and and that it really seems like that's what you guys are doing and i also think it is projects like yours that create that scene that allows for crossover you know it's the fact that you guys both just as individuals and as musicians have the credibility of in several scenes and have the notoriety that allows you to then say hey this is what we're going to do and it may not be what you expect but you know you guys should both accept and embrace it and and i feel like that yeah it's it's guys like you that are actually like making those bridges hopefully mm-hmm. Um, and unless there's more stuff that you want to say specifically about the record, maybe we can uh, move on and talk a bit about uh, bit about your your other projects. Uh, I know that you uh, recently played at North Sea Jazz Festival with a new quintet of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, do you pronounce it Stug or S T U G? I wasn't sure. I say Stug. Stug. Okay, yeah, it's Dutch, a Dutch word. It's a Dutch word, and I can pronounce it Stug. If I talk to an English person, I say Stug. Okay. I think sounds cool. (laughs) Stug is pretty good. I like it. Um, But yeah, can can you speak a bit to the to the origins of that project, what it is and and who joined you and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, let me see. Uh, in 2016, the BIM House organized uh, some improvisation festival Mm -hmm. called the October Meeting. Yeah. And they invited uh, some uh, Dutch improvisers. But also some international ones, like uh, Christian Lillinger from Berlin, yeah. uh, uh, Sophia Jernberg, uh, the singer, mm-hmm. uh, Alexander Hawkins from Eng- from the UK. So there was a, a bunch of 20 musicians, uh, and the idea was to come together uh, in three days, um, form little groups, ad hoc groups, uh, improvise together, uh, play different compositions, uh, practice in the afternoon, uh, perform in the evening, yeah. uh, 
And then the, the, the Bimas would curate these little groups, uh, put them together. Uh, the Bimas invited uh, some um, programmers f- uh, f- from Europe, outside Europe as well. Mm-hmm. They would uh, fly in to check out uh, the selection uh, of the Bimas. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was happy and fortunate to be one of these uh, people. And... Um, so yeah, I had the chance to to set to put together a group as well. Uh, pretty far, pretty quickly, I I realized uh, that the vibe was uh, of the music that people played was um, loud and busy and harsh and fast and uh, a bit like uh, avant-garde free jazz uh, kind of stuff, which yeah. is which is uh, cool and I really like it. But I thought it's nice uh, to do something different, something more. Uh, electronic key or, or, or yeah there was not so much electronics going on so I, um, I made a little uh, a little electronic set for myself and invited Raphael uh, from Knallpot because then I we really know each other and and, and I trust I trust him uh, 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 with his taste and, and aesthetics um, uh, I invited Sofia Jernberg, the singer from Oslo. Yeah. Now she lives in Sweden, I think. And uh, Joachim Badenhorst, the reeds player. And yeah. uh, Peter Eld, the ba- f- a Swedish bass player living yeah. in uh, Berlin. I know him from James Sue, from this uh, yeah. groove band from, uh, uh, from Mitchell. Yeah. And I, I know he, he knows how to play um, pop music. Because yeah. I wanted to improvise pop, like I used pop music as an aesthetics uh, mm-hmm. and use improvisation as a tool. Yeah, I had some uh, very simple melody with a few notes that uh, I already played with uh, Anton Goudsmith and, mm. and some other guy and Arno in the trio. Yeah. So I had a little composition. I wanted to, I wanted to play something different on the on the improv festival, something that sounds like pop music but is still improvised. Yeah. So I asked the guys behind the light table to take down the lights. I asked the sound guy to boost the, the sub-low frequency from the kick and the bass. Mm-hmm. And I asked the band to, to, uh, to, to play like a pop band, but completely open. Yeah. And that worked out really well. Everybody was like uh, really uh, impressed with the 15 minutes of music we played. Mm. So we decided to make a band. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then we had a few gigs. Like uh, I, I was invited in the Bimas again to do this carte blanche. I think that was also a little bit based on that 15 minutes we played because yeah. uh, Hoop was really, the programmer then was really impressed. So I thought, hey, why don't you uh, uh, continue with, uh, with the thing you did at the October meeting festival? Yeah. So yeah, we had a few gigs. We recorded every gig, and, and uh, I'm planning actually to uh, release um, the best um, piece of music put it together on a on a record. Yeah, cool. And um, hopefully, it's gonna happen soon yeah. if I find time. And yeah. Mm-hmm. But so you mentioned when, like in the in the email exchange that we had before before this, you mentioned that this is the first band that you are solely responsible for writing the music for. Mm. Um, I mean, first of all, I guess 
why this is maybe a weird question, but why did that take you so long to 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 decide to do that? Did you not see yourself as uh and obviously Knalpot is a duo, so there's no such thing as a leader in a duo. There's just two leaders, right? Mm-hmm. But like did the idea of being a band leader and the idea of like compl- like being solely responsible for the thing. I know you also perform solo, so there's also that thing, right? But like um yeah, what what has that been like uh, mm-hmm. to like take the the lead in that sense? Yeah. What is it like? Yeah, it's it, for me it was a uh, very felt very unnatural uh because all the groups I had and I had still having most of them uh they're uh collectives that are kind of democratic mm-hmm. and we all decide what we do, what we do and that feels to me the most natural thing to do. Everybody's happy, everybody does plays the part he is comfortable. Everybody mm-hmm. plays the bar, part that he came up with. Yeah. Uh, and and that's always has been the way we, we played. So I think that's the reason why I didn't feel it was necessary to that, uh, to have a leader. Mm. Although sometimes, you yeah, get this into these discussions, I prefer you to play this and that and then stop there. And then the other one goes, no, but I don't feel like that. So yeah, certain moment, thought like, hmm, let's, I would like to have, a, have my own band. And the circumstances uh, made it help me to, uh, to, 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 to try it out, this new concept of uh, being a band leader. And, and uh, I think it started out with uh, BM House asking me to do this carte blanche. And so I, could, I would be like the musical director and I would have to make all the choices. Yeah. Um, also, I applied for subsidy and they, and, and then that's all, was also a very good process of, uh, of, of putting on paper what I really, really wanted, what was my uh, ideas with aesthetics and why, and why uh, it's a good idea to, uh, to do what I'm planning to do. Mm-hmm. So that also helped me to, to find out what that is, that sweet spot, what, what would uh, that music be different than, than everything else that I have been done, have been doing uh, that I did. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a very fruitful, uh, fruitful thing to do. A good process. Yeah. Can you shortly, like, I guess it, it's along the lines of a lot of what we've already been saying, but can you shortly describe what that was when you decide to sit down and put on paper your like intention for like what you want to do if it's just up to you. Yeah. Can you shortly explain? Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit similar what I mentioned, what this original uh, experiment was at, uh, at the October meeting that uh, I thought it was uh, uh, interesting and actually very important to have, to, to introduce experimental improvised music to a big audience. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, uh, uh, to combine a, f- a big, fat, warm sound that is pleasing to the ears, uh, that sounds that and uh, atmospheres, uh, uh, sounds, atmospheres, uh, maybe also forms and or hints of melodies that we know from pop music that gives mm-hmm. us a good vibe that that gives us energy uh, uh, to have those have this quality. And then played as if it was uh, free improvised music. Yeah. Without losing the edge, without uh, 
being too uh, floaty and, and, and easy listening. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a very good challenge to do. So not to have these like uh, saxophonic screams like for 20 minutes, which is, I think is cool too, but then put that with a, with a fat bass on, 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 the, on, the, on the bottom and some stumbly uh, groove uh, that goes along with it. Yeah. So I thought that was a, a starting point and, and still um, I think uh, we're doing it now. Yeah. What we also do is uh, a bit, yeah, like um, I would write down uh, um, some uh, uh, structures and then we would uh, play clusters. I would compose combinations of uh, things like... Uh, I would decide for each instrument uh, what to do, and then it becomes a cluster. Mm-hmm. And we would focus on uh, on the little details. We would stick to that cluster and play it in time. And we would focus on the on the microscopical uh, level and the inside. What what is the story there? Yeah. And 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 stick to that sound. Not yeah. Like improv. Like um, let's say free jazz. Many times jumps from one thing to the other. Mm-hmm. I wanted to uh, be a bit more static, a bit more conceptual about that. Yeah. So we have uh, these pieces that that uh, have has just textures. Yeah. And maybe some simple melodies that we that we improvise. That's part of the composition to say come up with a melody, yeah. remember the melody, reintroduce it later again mm-hmm. whilst the, the rest of the band plays. Uh, clusters. Yeah, I think that's very interesting also to listen to listen to. Yeah, definitely. Now it's it's really refreshing. I mean, like the stuff that I heard from you guys. It's I I always feel like there is this and and to be clear, I I love free improv music and I'm really into it and I love the scene here as well and all the stuff that the, the guys do. But there is there does start to be a certain aesthetic that gets defined by that and especially by the different scenes. I think you know if you're in Amsterdam versus. Paris versus Berlin versus New York or Chicago, or whatever. Like, there's different aesthetics, but there are quite common aesthetics. And the idea of freedom becoming limited by the scene that you're in to a certain extent, like, if the expectation is that you shouldn't play grooves because that's against the like principle of freedom or whatever, that mm. that becomes the antithesis of freedom, right? Like, so the idea of like you are free to play something simple. You are free to make those kinds of choices. You are free to embrace the idea of a melody even, which is not necessarily something that happens. Mm. Um, I, I mean, that yeah, that's maybe more of a remark than a question, but it, it feels uh, it feels really quite refreshing to me. Maybe we can touch upon a, a few other things. Is there other stuff that you're doing as a sideman, as a co-leader? As thing? I know you've been doing a few solo shows and stuff. What has that been like, for example? Um, trying to build... I can imagine that it's a kind of an extension of Knallplot that you're trying to fill the space with a limited num- amount of resources. But like, how how has that been? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's true. Yeah, I used a similar I used a similar setup when I play solo, like this electronic setup. Um, I built a repertoire with Knallplot using that setup, so the ingredients are similar. The thing is just uh, um, it's 50% less uh, people on yeah. stage. So <laughs> everything I do um, 
comes from my side. Mm-hmm. It takes some it takes some uh, time to get used to it, of course, uh, and 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 a lot of practicing in order so that so that uh, everything that comes uh, that I do, if I stop, there's silence, right? So yeah. so that's anyway to play solo is a very healthy process and a, a very good practice and and yeah, I'm I'm happy that I that I could do all these shows yet. It, I think, in the end, it makes it makes you stronger as a musician, and and you, yeah. Um, and let me see. Uh, I realized playing solo uh, that that uh, the patience and uh, and self confidence uh, uh, is very challenged, right? So. So there is something with uh, something with as a musician, you always have to feel the silence with some sounds. Yeah. As yeah. long there is these two different silences. One is the comfortable one and one is the uncomfortable one. Yeah. To um to uh realize that actually a solo is uh is a is a conversation with yourself or a conversation with you and the environment. So once I understood that, it completely helped me to be comfortable with the silence. Yeah. Also in a in a conversation, it can be nice to have silence. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so once I realized that, playing solo became much more easy. Yeah. And it's beautiful to leave gaps of silence. Yeah. It's but yeah, what I realized also it just need I need more time to do what I do because when I switch from one patch to the other, I need a roadmap. Uh, I cannot I cannot let the other musician play and then once I'm ready, I enter again. Yeah. So all these technical things, uh, yeah. I have to find solutions. I have to think, okay, from this patch to the other one patch, I have to make a musical bridge. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. But then things go wrong, and then you kind of change the plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's nice. Are you doing any looping? Is it is it always just purely what you play is what's being heard, or is there a certain amount of like? I do some looping. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sometimes, and I use it as a usually as a background atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, and I like to to have these uh, stop and go things on off on off on off. Yeah. 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 But I prefer not to loop too much. It's, yeah. I prefer to focus on um, on layers, like the the rhythmical layer. To have a just like a band, like you have the the sub the, the bass layer. You have the melodic function. Yeah. And and since I have these triggers and these uh, beautiful toys, uh, is I can stop after silence or some little decay of some reverb or the de- or delay, and then enter again and. I'm Boom and have a big sound. Yeah. So I, I think that's more interesting than to have a, a static loop going that yeah. smears uh, or that kills the the silence and makes everything just fuller. I yeah, prefer yeah. to be um, focus on presence and, and yeah. this, this tension between uh, on off. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like loop loop based music has become its own genre in a certain way and. You have people that break out of it and manage to use loops in a more creative way, and then you have like the 
archetypal loop music, which is I start by playing a thing and you know that you're going to hear this for the next five minutes, so you better like it, and then I'll play a second thing on top of it and you better like that as well. And, you know, the, it, it's it feels to me like it almost imposes a certain form to the music, which is a bit restricting and, and occasionally problematic in that sense. Um, yeah, I think it's just an, what you say. I completely agree. But in the end, it's an it's an extension of uh, of an aesthetics you choose, right? You sometimes on a festival you hear a band that starts, and in the first twenty seconds you know whether this band gonna surprise you or not, mm. right? So, oh, yeah. it's that kind of band that just keeps doing that for for uh, <laughs> for until the end of the set. Yeah, and there's other groups that think ah they might. Surprise me! Oh, there's yeah. little, oh, there's little surprises here and there. Yeah, and I think that all freshness and that openness, I think, is essential for any kind of art. Yeah. Like, uh, no, definitely, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, is there any other projects that you want to mention uh, that we haven't touched upon? Anything quickly? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's one, maybe one, one or two things quickly. I tell you, um, I'm starting a duo with. Um, uh, some uh, Dutch uh, a female uh, laptop musician called uh, uh, Sanne van Heck. Okay. And her artist name is Sanity. Mm-hmm. She plays awesome, weird, uh, uh, stumbly, uh, uh, busy uh, drum uh, grooves and clusters. Uh, she made her own... Uh, uh, advanced uh, synthesizers that can break uh, the subdivisions into any division but still have a, have a kind of the the beat that is steady. So basically she has this fucked up rith- rhythm machine mm-hmm. uh, and I would then more focus more on the acoustic, uh, let's say sound design, I would yeah. do more the bass things or some uh, acoustic clusters. Yeah. So it's a, bass, a, a drum duo, but yeah. with, a, with a, somebody playing the laptop. So yeah. I'm uh, very excited about it. Yeah, that's interesting. And the project is called uh, Grafwerk. Okay. Graf, like the grave. Yeah, grave work. work. Yeah. yeah. Is that yeah. reference to Kraftwerk or is it just... Um, maybe uh, a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Graf is also Flemish. Yeah, it, it means uh, what the Dutch would say. Uh, a graf is is kind of uh, nice or beautiful or, or, or cool. Yeah, graf. Can you know that word? Yeah, I think I've heard that uh, used that way before. Yeah, and I have another project called Loud Matter. Yeah, I read something about that online. I think it's also with a uh, with a woman uh, from uh, Eindhoven. Mm. Uh, Marike and she does um, uh, it's an audiovisual thing she does uh, real time animation mm-hmm. uh, but also she prepares uh, animation and that prepared am- uh, uh, animation is uh, is connected to the musicians me uh, and, and some um, some other musician called uh, Mono Deer he plays the Game Boy okay yeah so he has a he plays that, and and so the her prepared animation, the game boy and the drums, they're all linked together with yeah. MIDI, okay. and we uh, interact. So as a drummer, I can also uh, trigger uh, the images. So yeah. that's gonna be very interesting too. 
Cool. We're just starting out and having a tryout uh, early next year. Okay, cool. Ah, I look forward to checking that. That sounds exciting to me. Um, I mean, the the I don't know the idea of chip tune music is something I I don't think people are necessarily super like um, aware of, except in those like communities. But like Game Boy based music and 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 video game music and stuff is always like exciting. And the fact that that is becoming its own scene and the fact that people are now making like strange um, arty kind of projects based on this kind of technology, I find kind of exciting. Mm. Um, Cool. Uh, I, I always, uh, yeah. I, I think we, we're reaching the end of this conversation, and um, you just recently became a father, so I don't want to keep you here too long. <laughs> yeah, uh, the I always like to ask my guests if there's something that they'd like to recommend um, that the audience check out. It could be just about anything. Uh, something you found inspiring it can be a book, a movie, uh, or a record. Of course, a musician. Anything that comes to mind. Yeah, I would like to uh, uh, propose to the, those who don't know him, it's an electronic uh, musician called Chris Clark. Okay. His artist name is Clark, and he's signed to this uh, electronic music label Warp okay. from the UK. Yeah. And uh, he has some music is really mind-blowing. Mm. I think he's uh, originally also a drummer, mm-hmm. and... and uh, and especially his first uh, releases um, around uh, 2004, between 2004 and, two, and 2009 or 10. I think they're uh, really uh, amazing and, uh, and have been a big inspiration to me. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's a very rhythmical. Uh, it, it has a lot of halftime grooves that I think is really cool. He plays a lot with the time stretch and a bit this like, bit like Jim Black-ish kind of stumble uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, subdivisions. Yeah. But then uh, then programmed and electronic. Mm. And uh, he he's very good in uh, dropping the beat on unexpected moments, uh, coming with the weirdest uh, drones or uh, ambient uh, thing clusters. Yeah. And then out of the blue, something else. Like it's very... Uh, uh, open and, and diverse music. Chris Clark, uh, check check it out. Yeah. It's really nice. Cool, yeah. I will be linking that uh, in the show notes on the website so people can check it out. Um, and of course, links to your website and Knapwald and, and the new record and, and all your future endeavors will be there as well. Uh, Gary, thanks so much for being on the show. It was really fun talking to you. Thanks for having me. Gary Yeager, once again, I will play more music from him and his band Stuch in just a moment. Many thanks to my fellow members of Catrio for providing the intro and outro music for the show. Please subscribe to this wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Leave a favorable review or star rating in Apple Podcasts, iTunes as it used to be called. That really does help me a lot with finding new listeners and spreading the word. You can also spread the word by word of mouth. Uh, If you know anybody who'd like to listen to this kind of stuff, please let them know. That is incredibly helpful. Go to patreon.com slash soundandmoment if you would like to help me out with covering the costs for the show. You can make monthly or one-off donations over there, and even the smallest amount will make quite a difference to me. You can reach me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can find me on Facebook via the Sound of the Moment page. And, of course, you can email me at pat at soundofthemoment.com. 
finally, here's more music from Gary Yeager. This is a live performance by his band Stuch, as I learned it's pronounced during the interview. Um, it's a little longer than most of the pieces that I usually play on the show, but I think it's well worth your time. The tune is called Breathing. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment.
Thank you. 